And I'd like you to meet uh, some real friends who met here at Horizon. So can we give a warm Horizon welcome to Amy and Rachel. Come on down. Well, guys, welcome. It's great Thank to have you. you up here on the big stage in the limelight here. <laughs> Why don't we go back and just talk about how did the two of you guys meet? Sure. Yeah, like you said, we met at Horizon. Actually, it's been almost 10 years ago. Um, I had just moved with my daughter to Cincinnati and was new to Horizon and looking to join a group. And Amy just happened to be starting a brand new group for moms of younger children at that time. And so... Our friendship started there on Thursday mornings and quickly developed into occasional lunches and coffees to being invited to Ryle family dinners and game nights, which include a lot of math um, in their games. But uh, yeah, and we just quickly became best friends and she's been through all the ups and downs with me and um, very grateful and blessed and never would have thought that 10 years ago walking into that Bible study, I'd meet my best friend and we're still part of that Bible study, and that's the cool thing about that one is I think a lot of people have met their Amy's or those people that they get to do life with. Yeah. And when you say yeah. do life together, what, what does that mean to do life together? Because many people haven't been in a Bible study before, so it sounds like on a bunch of religious, sounds quite boring, frankly. So tell me, what is doing life together, and why, why would we be interested in that? So it means a lot of different things, I would say. I think it probably boils down to just really listening well to what's going on in each other's lives and um, investing in trying to support each other. So uh, Bill, who is around a lot, has said our group laughs a lot. So there's a lot of laughter, um, but there are also some tears, you know. Mm. And uh, it's meant different things, such as, you know, we've helped people unpack moving boxes. We've helped people pack moving boxes. Um, we have gone to comedy shows together. We've seen movies together. We've um, we, we, we do girls' nights out. Um, the group just is full of life and activity. Mm. I think the piece that means a lot to me, um, in between group times, there's a lot of texting of, um, you know, prayer requests or issues going on in life. Let's take a walk. Let's go grab a coffee. Mm. Um, That's awesome. My, uh, my daughter was in your group as well, and I know it made a huge impact yeah. in her life as well. Well, what's like a favorite moment of all the different moments you guys had together that kind of stands out? Yeah, you talked about texting, Amy, which makes me think of a moment. Um, there's a mom in our group who has two young sons who we pray for often. And last year, the year before, she texted our group during the week and was just asking for prayers because one of them was having a particularly rough time at school that week. And um, when I read the message, I felt God saying, just get down on your hands and knees and pray. And honestly, that's not something I normally do. I don't get down on my hands and knees all the time and pray. And especially in the middle of my living room. <laughs> and I did it, though. I listened. I got down. I prayed over this mom and um, her son and the teachers and everyone got up, went about my day. Fast forward a few days later, we're in our group, and she, we share prayer requests and praises at the end usually. And she was sharing a praise that at a certain time, the teacher had emailed her and said it was like a switch had flipped. And um, her son's behavior had just improved tremendously. And the day just went so much better and the week mm. improved. And the exact time she said was when oh. I had been praying. And mm. I, I know that because when I got down on my hands and knees, the cable box was like level <laughs> with, with my eye line. And so that moment sticks out just because not only was it one of those beautiful moments where you got to be a part of God's like immediate and direct mm. response to prayer, 
but it also is just a beautiful example, sort of what Amy was saying too, just of our group and how it functions, just very authentic, very vulnerable. We don't like to invite people into the messy parts of our life, but this mom did that, and in doing so, she gave us the chance to come alongside her in prayer and also get to be blessed by seeing how God answered that prayer. Yeah. That happens all the time in our group. That's great. How about you? I think there's so many great memories um, over the 10 years. We have some folks who've been there the whole 10 years. We also have folks who've just joined us in the last couple of months. So um, one that stands out for me, one of the women who's been in the group for a couple of years, um, pretty quiet. I think she would describe herself as an introvert. And she, um, she just, when she speaks, like you could hear a pin drop in the room because everything she says is so wise and mm. um, beyond her years, it's really incredible. But she, we asked her to step into a leadership role in the group and um, she prayed about it and thought about it. And if I'm honest, I wasn't sure she would say yes. Yeah. And she came back and said she would. And I think for me, the first week that she led was, it was just so cool to watch God working through her and mm -hmm. to see the number of lives that she has touched and is going to continue to touch. Mm. Um, it, was, it was just a, a joy-filled experience I can't say I've ever experienced other than that. So mm. it was really, really fun, really cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, I know I walk by on, uh, is it Tuesdays you guys Thursday meet? Thursday morning. Thursday, and it's Tuesday, Thursday. So uh, when I'm walking through there on Thursdays, I can hear all that laughter yes, and I can see you guys coming out and people just uh, talking about grabbing lunches together and things. So yeah. thanks for all the ways you guys have modeled uh, community and friendship to us. So can we thank them for being brave enough to come up here? Thank you, guys. <laughs> You know, when you talk about friendship, you know, we've been in this series for a few weeks, and on one of the first weeks after we got done talking about friendship, uh, just like you heard in, in their story, I had a guy pulled me aside in the atrium. He goes, oh, i got to show you something. Talking about friendship. I said, what's that? And he pulls out his phone, flips through. He's like, look at that fish. I'm like, that's an interesting start to a story. And it's this incredible sailfish. And assuming I, I labeled it correctly, it's a big fish, whatever it was. And he's like, I caught that with a friend of mine down in Florida. And he flipped through. I'm like, oh, I know him. He goes to our church too. And it, this guy was a business guy and his friend was a doctor. And they talked about the friendship they had at our church and how much they enjoyed getting together and how much they enjoyed fishing. He's like, can I tell you something about that fish? I said, sure. He said, we paid for that fish four times. What does that mean? He says, well, first we paid for the crew and the captain to take us out. And we just went out and had a great time fishing. Then we caught the fish, and it was incredibly described the whole experience of pulling in the fish and cheering for each other and celebrating, and finally when it got it up in the boat. He said, then when the, the charter was done, we, we paid, you know, we gave tips to the captain and the crew. They got a deal going on the boat that anything you catch, they keep. So the third time, we, we paid for the fish because we gave the fish back to the captain. Then there's a deal going on that if you want that evening, they bring your fish back to a restaurant, and they will prepare your fish for you, and we paid to eat our fish. But it was delicious, and it was incredible, and he just described how friendships formed at Horizon have turned into vacations and experiences and great memories together. I hope what you're going to find in this series, but also today, is that friendship is like a good wine. It needs to be cultivated, it needs to be shared, and yes, they really do get better with age. So how do we 
find, create, and cultivate those type of friendships. As I mentioned last week, one of the most famous people who spoke on friendship was a a man named Cicero, writing in the Greco-Roman world. And he described friendship not just as an add-on to your life, but he described it as an essential to life. Look what he said. He said, friendship serves a great host of different purposes. It can never be untimely. It can never be in the way. We need friendship all the time. Look at his analogy here. Just as we need the proverbial prime necessities of life, fire and water. You see, to give and receive advice, the former with freedom, the latter with patience and without irritation, is particularly appropriate of genuine friendship. See, one of the things that friends do is besides just we enjoy time together, we also have trusted collaboration between us. And I want to tell you a story today and show you three ways that friends are really like a great wine. Three ways. The first way is that they need to be cultivated. They need to be cultivated. These are not things that happen overnight. They're not instant. They're not even predictable often. They're cultivated over time. There's a man who's pretty famous in the Bible. His name is Moses. And he strikes up an incredibly deep friendship with a man named Jethro. And you wouldn't guess that. They're from totally different parts of the country. They don't live near each other. Uh, They've got different religious backgrounds. They're different ages. They're different races. One's Jewish. One's a Cushite. And yet they form the deepest friendship that shapes both of their worlds. A little background on Moses. Moses is known for writing the first five books of the Bible that shape the whole rest of the Bible and really shape what we know as the Western world, shaped by his writings. And yet God speaks to him like he's a friend. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses like a man speaks to his friend. So imagine the intimidation of saying, hey, I'd like to befriend a guy who's the friend of God. What do I have to say to that guy, right? (laughs) And this is the guy who's known for bringing down the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other moral uh, parameters and commandments that shape the Roman world or or the, the whole Western world. He's known for having the largest liberation of slavery in human history. Millions of people liberated from Egyptian bondage because of his leadership. And then he's part of some incredible miracles and stories that have shaped the world, like a crossing of a Red Sea where uh, God leads all of his people through Moses across the Red Sea and then crashes down to stop the Egyptians from coming after them. Let me tell you his story, though. He begins in Egypt. His family is enslaved, and the Pharaoh is going to try and kill him. So his mom puts him in a little basket, the baby, and pushes out into the Nile River, hoping the Nile River will take him to some place that he won't be killed. Well, surprisingly, the Nile River takes him directly to the Pharaoh's daughter, who sees this baby. Instead of having him killed, which was the law of the land, she decides to adopt him and raise this Jewish boy in the Egyptian household of the Pharaoh, where he learns leadership, education. He's trained in the best of the best of the best. But he still has a relationship with his mom, who lets him know his real story and where he's from. So now he's in this really complicated situation where he sees his people, the Jewish people, being oppressed and and demonized and and beaten. And one day he sees an Egyptian beating his family members, and he kind of loses his temper, which he's got a a real temper problem that kind of plagues his whole life. He gets so mad, he punches this Egyptian and kills him. And all of a sudden he realizes 
that his people aren't accepting him as a liberator. They're like, hey, didn't you kill that guy? And now gossip's starting to spread. And now the Egyptians are out to get him. He's like, you know what, I have not failed. I've failed at trying to help my people out. And he runs. He's 40 years old at that point. He runs to the backside of the desert where he will hide out for 40 years until he's 80. How is he going to survive in a land he's never been in? One of the first family members he meets is a guy named Jethro who is a patriarch of a gigantic family and gigantic industry and a, gi a gigantic business uh, of farming and agriculture and raising of, of sheep and goats and, and just a huge operation. He befriends Jethro, who helps him kind of deal with the, the fear, deal with a new life, teach him how to be a man, teach him how to run successfully a, a gigantic enterprise. So much so, he, he and Jethro so love each other and have such a great friendship that he ends up marrying Jethro's daughter. And so now Jethro becomes his father-in-law. He's now 80 years old and God appears to him in a burning bush and tells Moses that he still wants to use him to liberate his people at age 80. So he entrusts his now wife, Zipporah, and his two kids, or have at least two, I think, to Jethro to protect them because he's thinking I'm going to get killed he goes back to Egypt and sure enough goes face to face with the Pharaoh tells the Pharaoh let my people go Pharaoh says no God does a whole series of signs and wonders through Moses that eventually lead to the liberation of all these people go through the Red Sea they get up to Mount Sinai this mountain where God gives him instruction for the for the waiting world and now at that moment having done all these amazing things that have never been done before He's out in the wilderness again, and here comes his buddy Jethro. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done. They've cultivated a 40-year friendship. And when he hears, he goes, I've heard what's going on in your life. I've, I've heard what's happened. I want to know more. He heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. And the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. He said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, in a hilarious intro, I, Chad, your pastor, I, your father-in-law Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So it looks like this might have been in writing. I've been protecting your wife and your two sons. I want to come meet with you. I want to hear what's going on. So sure enough, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. I love this idea. What do friends do? It's a long-term, 40-year cultivation. And they ask each other about each other's lives. What's going on? What's happening? Not just about what you've done. He asked about that. But how's your well-being? How's your soul? And that must have been really scary. You've got 2 million people that you're leading. Starting a new government. Starting a new people. Teaching people in slavery for 400 years how to live free. How are you handling this? That's a lot of stress. It's amazing how friends know how to ask us how we're doing. They care about us, the real us, what, how we're processing, how we're thinking, how we're handling the things in our life. It's interesting, you know, this last year I turned 50, and so many of you were nice enough to uh, write little notes about uh, things you appreciate or uh, about our church, appreciate about me, or things you're thankful for, and, and those meant so much to me. I read through all of them. One of the ones that meant the most to me actually came from my son-in-law. Because it's, it's not often that you can have a relationship between a son and a father-in-law that sometimes it just doesn't work, right? Just the chemistry or the personalities. 
I got this incredible text from, from Brandon. He said, Chad, happy birthday. And Brandon lived with us for six months. Um, we've worked together. We've um, you know, brainstormed together. We've played games together. We've been on trips together. And this text said, Chad, I've observed you on stage and off stage. I've observed you in your home and around your home. Got to see the way you raise your family, the way you lead. And I'm so impressed by your consistency. You're the same person on and off stage. You're not motivated for the limelight, though you like the limelight. You're motivated to help people know what matters in their life, how to make a difference, and I respect you for it. Whew. So we've had a five-year, probably more than that, they've been married for five years, a seven-year friendship we've developed, cultivate over time. And it was those encouraging words that really, to me, was like, man, these are things I hope I was modeling and I hope I was demonstrating, but boy, to hear that from someone who's seen me in my best and my worst meant so much to me. Like a good wine had to be cultivated, like Moses and Jethro. The second thing, though, what good is a friendship if it's not shared, right? Friendship needs to be shared. It's two people. And what does it mean to share friendship? What does it mean? What are you looking for in friendship? What is, what is the goal of friendship? Well, again, Cicero, a Greco-Roman writer, has a great quote on this. Here's what he says. He says, friendship improves happiness, but it also abates misery. It doubles the joy and divides your grief. It doubles your joy, but divides your grief. What you see that with Jethro and Moses, you see it doubles the joy, it halves the misery, and more than that, it triples the wisdom. Well, let me show you what happens here. First, Notice in their friendship, they're meeting together in the tent. He's hearing about all the things God has done. And Moses told his father all that the Lord had done. Let me tell you all the things. This happened and this happened. He overcame this to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. But he also told them about all the hardship that had come upon them on the way. How the Lord had delivered them. Another joy he delivered us from. It was going to get tough. Then, look at this friend, then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done. And Jethro says to him, blessed be the Lord. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. You see, Jethro is not necessarily a follower of Yahweh, but he's hearing real evidence and real stories. And like all good friends, you share what's important to you. And one of the things that's important to Moses is his faith. And he's got real evidence, a real God. And he says, Jethro's like, I know those Egyptian gods. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're all about themselves. You're describing a God who overcame that arrogance by trying to serve others and liberate others and help others and teach others how to live free. Now I know. Now I know this God and want him to be God in my life. But you see how he tells the story, then Jethro rejoices, and he rejoices. There's just this doubling of joy when you share with your friendship because you're excited about it, and your friend's excited for you, which helps you rejoy yourself in that. However, it also mentions hardship because friendship also halves your misery. You have someone to help hold it with you, to walk through the challenges with you. Next slide. So Moses tells Jethro about the challenges. On the next day, Moses sat to judge the people from morning to evening. Now, imagine 
2 million people, you're the CEO, and you've got to figure out how to take 2 million people and organize them into civil, government, religious, family structures while you're moving hundreds of miles across the desert. This is a tough job. This is a tough assignment. So Jethro is going to observe Moses. On the next day, Moses sat to judge the people from morning until evening. Jethro saw all that Moses did for the people. He's watching him all day. He's like, that looked exhausting. And he says to him, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit from morning until evening? Friend, son-in-law, this thing you're doing is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourself out. This thing is too much for you. Now, how hard would that be to hear from your father-in-law? I watched you work all day. That's not good. I watched the way you're managing your life right now. Uh, that's not going to cut it. That'd be hard to hear, wouldn't it? It speaks to their friendship that he, Moses is able to hear this word, their trusted collaboration to say, I know he cares about me. Whatever he's saying, he wants the best for me. He doesn't want me to wear out. And he's going to give him advice to help him realize you're more worn out than you think you are. You're going to be more burned out than you think you are. This is not sustainable for you to be the judge of every civil issue, every legal issue. You're like the Supreme Court. You're like the local court. You're like the, 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 the pastor. You're the leader. You're the CEO. There's just too much on you right now. And I've led large organizations, Jethro says. You're not going to make it. So I want to help triple your wisdom. Two heads are better than one because there's a collaborative impact that happens when two people are counseling together. And look what Jethro gives him advice on how he can triple his wisdom in handling this huge, huge project. Listen now to my voice, Jethro says. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. It's like you're talking to the guy who just talked to God on, on Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments, and you're giving him instruction about how to live his life. That's right, because some people have perceived wisdom from life that you need to listen to, whether religious or not. People just have something to bring to bear that, that man, they got some expertise, and Moses is going to listen to Jethro's expertise. Stand before God with the people so they may bring the difficulties to God. Then you teach them the statutes and show them the way in which they must walk. Instead of you being in charge of every single thing, you be in charge of teaching the main principles, teach other people to show the way. I want you to create a team so it's not all on you. And then he lays out how to do that team with two million people. Look at, look at this. This is great. You shall select from all people able men. Don't just pick anybody. They need to fear God. They've got to have some character. Men of truth, people who hate covetousness. They can't be bribed. Place over them groups that are rulers of the thousands, some other that are rulers over the hundreds, some other rulers over the fifties, and some rulers over the tens. And let them each judge the people at different times. Then if you do that, Every great matter they bring to you. You're the Supreme Court. When everybody can't quite figure it out, when you're teaching the principles to the lower courts. But every small matter they themselves shall judge. Let's create a culture where people can get into this themselves. And Moses, at age 80 now, taking the wisdom of his father-in-law, is able to now begin a process of building not just an organization, but building a complete team. And thinking about it in a way, like Jethro has done for years, how to be sustainable long-term for himself and for his leaders. Let's think about friendship. It doubles the joy when you have something to share. It halves the misery, but also triples the wisdom as you get the collaboration of other people's expertise. About two months ago, uh, I mean, four months ago now, 
I was driving my car on the way home, and there's a friend of mine that goes to our church, and I hadn't talked to her in a while. And for no real reason, uh, I just felt like God was saying, why don't you give her a call? Kind of similar to what you heard here, kind of a prompting in your conscience. And so I get on the phone, I call her up. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I haven't heard from you in a while. And then she says, hey, why would you decide to call right now? I said, well, kind of weird. I just was driving down the road and kind of God put you in my heart. And I thought, hey, I should call and check, see what's going on. And just let you know I was thinking of you and, and praying for you. And the line got real quiet. She said, well, God is good. Man, I've never got that response to me calling. God is good when I call. Man, I said, why is that? She said, uh, you know, I, I've, I've celebrated over a decade free from cancer. I said, yeah, yeah, you've shared many times that. So I just heard this morning that my cancer is back. And I was just feeling so down and so discouraged, like God isn't with me or how could God allow this to happen, how unfair it is. The fact that God would prompt you to call me right now is just so perfectly timed. And we prayed together, shared some of the misery and the uncertainty and the fear that she was going through. And just about two weeks ago, I got a text from her. She sent it to a whole group of friends. We're all friends of the church. And it was her ringing a bell. And it was the last bell of her last chemo treatment. So we as friends got to not only share her misery and uncertainty. We're here with you. You're not alone. But also share the joy of ringing the bell. That's what friends do. That's what it means to have shared life. The last thing does is it does get better with age. And again, they've been friends for 40-plus years now, Jethro and, and Moses, and it really does get better with age. Because now he's given them this advice, and Moses is humble enough, though he's the spokesman and CEO of the Bible, to hear from his father-in-law's wisdom in life. And he takes that wisdom, right? At this point, we know he's given wisdom, but he's going to take it. He does. Look what happens. So, again, look at the heart of Jethro. So, here's what I want. This will be easier for you if you do it this way. For they will bear the burden with you. You'll have friends and a team to work with. If you do this thing, and so God commands you, God confirmed my wisdom here, you will be able to endure. And not only you will do well, all the people will also go to their place in peace. There'll be harmony, there'll be peace throughout the organization by leading it well. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. There's just this beautiful picture of friendship over time, and you'll just see the two of them continue to invest in each other. It's amazing to me because Jethro's story has always been one that's impacted me from being a student of the Bible. But when my daughter was, I don't know, two, three, four, five, somewhere in there, the movie came out, Prince of Egypt. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the Prince of Egypt is a cartoon version of telling the story of Moses and Egypt. And Jethro plays a big role in it. So if you haven't seen the movie before, it's a musical. About halfway into the show, Moses meets Jethro, and Jethro decides to sing this song. So in this song, he kind of gets out, and the music kind of starts in the background. It's like a music you can tell it's going. And it's half talk, half song. And he says, that song begins something like, look at your life. Look at your life. Look at your life through heaven's eyes. And then he goes into dun 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 And so we would watch this song, my daughter and I, over and over again. When the middle of the song, there's a moment when Jethro's little daughter goes up and looks up at him and says, dance with me. And so every time that we'd be watching the TV show, 
Start off, look at your life, look at your life through heaven's eyes. And then about halfway through the song, Sierra would look up at me, dance with me. And then she would stand on my, my two feet, and I'd put my arms around her, and we'd be dancing together in the living room. Look at your life, look at your life, look at your life through heaven's eyes. And I love that idea. What would it look like to see your life as a purpose through heaven's eyes, your value, your, your company? L- look at how... Running an organization, leading people well, organizing people well, that is all spiritual, high-purpose stuff that God evaluates. And even the CEO of the Bible needed that wisdom in his life. What if you looked at your life, your purpose, your day-to-day operation through heaven's eyes and got to see the role that friendship plays? One of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen of the power of friendship happened when I was a kid. We used to love going tubing. So we, I still tube down the, uh, the little Miami occasionally. But we grew up in a little town in Illinois, and we would always go tubing down the Mackinac. And in general, the thing, like most rivers, goes about two miles an hour, if that. And so my dad, my brother, and our whole church group of men went with on this trip. I was maybe 12, my brother's 10. And so because the river's so slow, you're always looking for sections of white water. It goes from two miles an hour to three miles an hour, you know, or maybe four miles an hour. And so we got ahead of the group, my brother and I. I'm ahead of my brother because I'm older, you know, and he's trying to keep up with me. And as I'm paddling along, I see a section of white water, which on a small river like the Little Miami or the Miami or the Mackinac always means a tree fell, which diverts a little bit more water in one direction. So I paddle over there, and as I'm paddling over there on my tube, sure enough, I get a little bit of white water, But this tree fell this direction and this direction, and another tree is sticking up in the middle of the river now. The net result of these three trees is as I hit the water, I'm going a little faster, but it sucks me and it sucks the tube underwater, which what felt like eternity. All of a sudden, I'm enjoying it. White water! And now in a second, I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm being held under in this tree, I'm pinned, and all of a sudden, what seemed like eternity, I get spit back out. <laughs> I grab onto my tube, I turn around, I'm now about 10, 15 feet away from that tree in the middle of the river, and I yell back to my brother, don't go this way, it's dangerous. Now, if your older brother tells you not to do something, do you listen to that? No. So he paddles directly toward the white water. And I am now deeply concerned my brother, so I yell out, seriously, seriously, Ryan, Ryan, well, whatever you do, don't let go of the tube. Do you listen to your older brother? Well, sure enough, Ryan comes to the exact same spot. His tube gets sucked under. First thing he does is let go of the tube. But what he does do is he jumps up and bear hugs that branch sitting in the middle of the river. So sure enough, tube gets sucked under, spit back out. And my brother is just bear-hugging this tree in the middle of the river. And he is terrified. It takes me about 50 to 70 yards before I finally get to the shore because of the four miles an hour current. And I am terrified for my brother. The men in the group are still ways back. I am running through a cornfield. And if you've ever run through a cornfield barefoot and with swimsuit on and not a shirt, it is just like slice, cut, slice, slice, slice. But, man, i got to go save my brother. I arrive, because it took me about 15 minutes to navigate all that and all the briar and everything, and my dad and all the men in the church had already pulled over to the side of the river on this little bank. My brother's there holding on this tree, 
And they decided to form a, a line of men. And I, I got there just in time to see. It was one guy held onto a tree on the bank. The next guy linked into him, linked into him, and they were lined up along the river. My, my brother's over there. They're lined up this way. And they get lined up far enough. My dad's like, I think that's what we need. Go. And with that guy linked up to the shore, they basically made a human chain of bodies with my dad on the end. And they got, it came perfectly timed out so my dad could get to my brother, who jumped onto him. He said, I got you, buddy. And then I watched as one guy at a time, they pulled the link over, pulled the man over, pulled the man over, and they slowly pulled my brother in. And then I said what every brother did. Why didn't you listen to me? But it's such a great reminder of the power of friendship, the power of teamwork, the power of people coming together. And often our lives are, are the result of many people investing us, many people pulling with us, many people linking arms together. That's why it gets better with age. Like each one of those people have had significant impact in my life. One was a Sunday school teacher. One ended up being a, a teacher in my youth group as one of the youth pastors. And it's like men who had really invested in my life and, in my view, saved my brother's life. See, Jesus realized that we're a lot like my brother in that situation. We put ourselves in dangerous situations. We don't take his warnings. We don't do the right thing. We don't hold on to his raft. And we can't get out of the situation we find ourselves in. So Jesus had great cost to himself. In the same way I got carved up and sharpened, he ran through hell for you and I, what's known as the Roman crucifixion. He did that because he wanted to make a bridge between God and us that we couldn't make for ourselves. And often that bridge is, if you look at your own life, the people who've influenced you, it's a friend here, it's a coach there, different people in your life that helps shape you and direct you. And God wanted to create a human chain by becoming a human and showing he had a plan for our life. Because he wanted to have friendship with you the same we had with Moses. Remember it said, Moses was a friend of God. So how about for you? What does it look like to plant and cultivate your own vineyard of friendship? How do you do that? Well, maybe you start to look at the fields of interest around your life. Whether it's bicycling, whether it's serving, whether it's being on a board together, where are the different fields of interest that you might cultivate some friendships? Friendship never feels urgent. So you have to make it urgent. Because it's a long time to grow. It's a long time to cultivate. So start now. Urgently developing and cultivating those non-urgent fruits. Pick the right place to go deep. You can't go deep with everybody. What's the one person, the one area of your life, the one relationship, the one environment where somebody you're starting to connect with over whatever it is, soccer or football or, or maybe a, a certain purpose or a perspective? I want to go deep there and see if that person wants to go deep as well. But how do we cultivate where you see growth? Sometimes you're trying to cultivate something, but it's not responsive. Somebody's not available. Somebody's too busy. See, like, I wish that could be a friendship, but I'll have to cultivate someplace else where I see growth. I see things happening. I mentioned in this series, one of my favorite books is The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis on friendship. And he describes a group of friends he has. And it's ring so true to me and how when you're around different friends, they bring out different parts of you. And when you lose a friend, you don't just lose them. You lose a piece of yourself. And you lose a piece of your other friends that they uniquely could bring out. Here's how he says it. 
In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that my friend Charles is dead, I will never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke he would tell. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Isn't that beautiful and true? That's why death is such a challenge. Because we not only lose the person we care about, we lose the piece of us they could draw out. There's certain friends that I can be more wickedly sarcastic with than other friends. There's some friends that bring out a sense of humor in a way that others don't. There's some that bring out uh, an appreciation for art and appreciation for culture that others you know, can't at all bring out. Friendship needs to be cultivated and developed. This next song might be one you've heard before. It's pretty well-traveled. But it's such a beautiful song about the power of friendship and specifically how friends really do get deeper. They really do get stronger with time. And the kind of friendship you develop over time, you start realizing they are like a good wine. There's so many different aspects to it. There's so, many, so, so much deepening to it. So I invite the band to come out. I just want to come do this final song. And again, I want you to think about maybe ways in which you want to be drawn closer to God as a friend. Maybe you want to think about the friends in your life. Whether you're celebrating great friends in your life, you're feeling lonely and wish you knew you weren't alone. God says, give a call. So let's give a call together. Maybe you want to start by saying, God, I need your friendship in my life. Maybe you say, I'm feeling alone. You want to say, God, thank you for the great friendship I have in my life. I'd like to include you in that friendship. God, thanks for dying for me to form that bridge. Teach me how to prioritize relationships the way you do. And Father, each person here who maybe is going through a dark time or a lonely time, or time they're feeling disconnected. Father, would you just right now in your spirit remind them that, that you are here, that you are with them, that you have not forsaken them, that you have a plan for them, a plan for good, not for evil, to prosper them. And Father, teach us as a church how we can continue to create environments for people to connect, to grow, and to build friendships together. In Jesus' name, amen.